We're continuing in 1 Thessalonians. We've just finished chapter 3, where Paul was praying for the church in Thessalonica. And we're going to look this evening at the first two verses of chapter 4. So we'll just read those before I go further. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first two verses. There's one word I'm going to concentrate on in these two verses. And from the reading and the hymns we've had, I wonder if you will recognize it. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We'll come back to that verse in a moment. Chapter 4 marks a watershed in 1 Thessalonians. In the first three chapters, Paul has been looking back at the gospel coming to Thessalonica, one of the first places that heard the gospel, their conversion, and then uh, he has defended his absence from them because he didn't stay there for long, and he ended the first part, the looking back, by praying for them. From chapter 4 to the end of the letter, he's looking forward. He's looking to the future. Finally, that doesn't mean, as some preachers mean, uh, that uh, I'm coming to the end, but there's still a long way to go. It's just a way of saying... Uh, I'm now moving on to this second half of the letter. This is one of the first letters Paul wrote, and the church is an infant church, and he is so encouraged by her. But there are still needs there. There are still gaps that need to be filled. And this is what he addresses now in the last two chapters of the letter. There is no perfect church. If you find a perfect church, you leave it. Uh, because uh, you will uh, uh, no longer uh, make it perfect. Every church has needs. And there is something quite relevant about the needs in Thessalonica. What are they? Well, let's just give a very quick overview of the last two chapters. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, Paul is going to deal with the all-important matter of how do I live as a Christian in a hostile world? Whether you like it or not, we're no longer living in a Christian society. Was there ever such a thing? We are on enemy ground. How do I live as a Christian? Very important. And then chapter 4, verse 13, to chapter 5, verse 11, he just deals with one doctrinal area where there was so much confusion in Thessalonica, and that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of confusion today on the second coming, but more, I think, a lack of emphasis. And then he ends the letter from verse 12 in chapter 5 to the 28th verse, by asking the question, how do I live, not in the world, but in the church? It can be harder sometimes, can't it? 
relating to your brothers and sisters in Christ than living out there in the world. So we're going to start tonight by looking at this matter of how do I live as a believer in this world? We are in the world. We haven't got a choice there, but we're not of the world. Now, if you're interested in Paul's letters, you will realize that he's already developing uh, the pattern here, which we'll see uh, much more developed in Romans or Ephesians. The first part of his letters is primarily doctrine. And then the second part is applying that doctrine. So 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 to 3 had application, but it was more doctrine. From chapter 4 to the end, there is some doctrine, mostly second coming, but it's primarily application. So then, what we'll do tonight is just look at a general statement of how we live in the world as believers. And did you recognize what word it was in the first two verses? This word is a lovely metaphor of the Christian's life in the world. Our walk. You've received from us how you ought to walk and please God. Walking is used in Scripture to describe our conduct, our lifestyle. So I started the service tonight with Psalm 1. Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What's our walk like? It used to be said of a person who was a Christian that they walked with the Lord. And sometimes it would be said of a person, very sad to hear this, that they no longer walked with the Lord. So this word walk seems to get to grips with what being a Christian is all about. So are we walking with the Lord? And then, do you remember the series we did in Colossians many, many years ago? That phrase was used a number of times by Paul in Colossians. Turn, if you want, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul prays there that the church in Colossae might walk worthy, walk becoming of a Christian. And then Colossians 2, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In our reading in Ephesians, this is developed even further. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. What's our walk like? Now, I've got three things to say about the Christian's walk. The first is this. It's a marked walk. When I was in university, I joined a walking club called the West Wales Wanderers. It wasn't a football team. It was a rambling club. 
Now, the Christian's walk isn't a ramble. We're not wandering around. It's a marked path that we are walking. That's very important. Do you know what Christians were first called, even before they were called Christians? In the book of Acts, we're told that they were referred to as people of the way. People of the way. What's the way? Jesus said, I am the way. So the first thing unbelievers noticed about these people that were arising, this new group called the followers of Jesus, was that they walked. Their conduct was different. So we are walking a marked path. How does Paul begin the verses we're considering uh, this evening? He uses a phrase, doesn't he? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. That is the way. There is no other way. When we were born into this world, we were on the broad road, and the destination we were heading towards was destruction. Many are on the broad road. What happened when we were converted? The word convert means turn. That's what repent means. We turned from the broad road and we turned to the narrow way. We believed in Jesus Christ. We had a turnaround. It doesn't matter whether that was sudden or gradual, but the important thing is we once walked in a certain direction the walk of the world, but we're no longer going in that direction. We've now had a turning and we're walking in a new direction. Are you? And we start this walk by faith and we continue to walk by faith and not by sight. This is the king's highway have you ever been on these Roman roads in Wales? The Saren Helens? They're as straight as anything, aren't they? Very old. Very well built. This road is even older. Far before time, beyond creation's dawn, it was built by the King of Kings. And this is so old, it's called by Jeremiah the Old Paths. Incidentally, the Old Paths doesn't refer to being old-fashioned. It refers to being in the way, this ancient way. And there are markers. We'll come to them in a minute. There is only one way. There is only one old path. Uh, we are told, aren't we, today, that there are many paths that lead to God, that lead to the mountaintop. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says there is only one road and it leads to Calvary. It gets discouraging at times, but I know I'll make it by the saving grace that's over me. Only one marked road, the King's Highway. It's old, before time. It was expensive to build. It cost the blood of the only begotten Son of God. Roman roads would have been built with the blood of slaves. This road has been built with the blood of Jesus Christ. And unlike the broad road, this is a narrow road, unlike the many that are on the broad road, there seem to be, I say that, seem to be few 
on this narrow road. And unlike the broad road, which is easy to walk on, this road is often rough. This road is often rocky underfoot. This road is a long and a winding road. This road at times seems as if it's coming to a standstill. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? Think of the children of Israel being saved from Egyptian bondage and being led along the marked way that God was taking them on and then coming to a dead end. It seems like that in the Christian life, doesn't it, at times, that we've reached the dead end. They had nowhere to turn to. They couldn't go back. They couldn't go forward, it was the Red Sea. They couldn't go to the left, it was a steep mountain. They couldn't go to the right, it was an even steeper mountain. There was one way they could go. They could go up, that is, they looked up. And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of God. Is anybody here this evening at a seeming standstill? Your way is blocked. It's not to God. It might be to you, but our God will open the sea if needs be. He really will. So this is Jesus Christ. I am the way. Are we in Jesus Christ? Are we keeping onto the narrow path? It's not easy. That's why God puts us in a church. We encourage one another. It's a group walk. That's not one of my points. It's just coming to me now. <laughs> It's not a solitary walk. Some of us prefer to go walking on our own. But this is a group walk. We're here to help one another. And let me give you this illustration. You'll have to bear with me, especially with the theme this evening, um, because I am a walker. One of the most difficult mountains to climb in Wales is Trevon. Trevon. You'll often uh, see on the news somebody having to be rescued from Trevon. The most difficult way up, Trevon, is the North Ridge. And you get halfway up, and there's a wall of rock ahead of you. And some people attempted to try and go around, but that leads you to more danger. What you've got to do, and it looks impossible if you ever find yourself on the North Ridge of Trevon, you've just got to keep going straight. It doesn't look possible, but it is. And it's marked. So many people have gone that way. The rock is polished. And you know what's great about Trevon? The rock, if a rock can be honest, the rock on Trevon is true. It's not crumbly. It's solid. And the handholds, they're jug holds. They'll keep you. They'll keep you. So it's a bit like that with the hill difficulty, like Bunyan's Pilgrim. When you come to... A seeming dead end, and it's this hill difficulty ahead of you. Don't fear. It's good rock. It's the rock of ages. The holds are good. They are the promises of the God who cannot lie. And just keep going. Just keep going. So it's a marked road. The second thing is not just a marked walk. It's a guided walk. A guided walk. Uh, look at the way Paul puts it. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
if you're going somewhere for the first time, you will have a guidebook that will tell you the way. God has given us his guidebook. It's a dark world. It's getting even darker morally and spiritually. What did the psalmist say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When Paul here is using the words, we urge and exhort you, he's not giving his opinion as to what a Christian ought to do in terms of living in the world. He is speaking as God's apostle. He's commanding, and he is more specific, isn't he? Uh, you have received from us how you ought to walk. That's a military term. The orders have come down from HQ. HQ is the sanctuary where God is. God has given us his very word. This isn't human tradition that we're thinking of. I don't recognize the tune. <laughs> but this is the word. This is the word. The Thessalonians, most of them were converted from a non-religious background. They had no previous knowledge of Scripture. They were converted from a Gentile background. And the world that the church faced in the book of Acts is very much like our society. It was Greco-Roman, not Judeo-Christian. What does that mean? It means that just like the moral confusion today, so it was 2,000 years ago. The things that have been legalized in our country in the last few decades were legal in this world where these young believers lived. And Paul says, you've got to walk in the dark and walk in the light, and you don't need to worry because God has given you his word. This is the king's highway, and we are living according to the king's rules. So it doesn't matter what period we're in. I know those of you who are older, you you find it so confusing today because you remember a time a few generations ago when things were so much clearer in terms of morality. But that's not the time we're living in. And even if we would have been living in those times, the world still would have been dark then spiritually and we would have had to walk different to the world. So our standards are not the standards of a generation ago. They're not the standards of this generation. That doesn't have anything to do with it. Our standards are the standards of God's word. And whatever times we find ourselves in, the truth of this word, truth, unchanged, unchanging, is applied to the times in which we are in. Do you get that? Now let me try and apply that. If we would have been in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they had the moral law, which still holds, the Ten Commandments summarized it, and the 
New Testament opens up the Ten Commandments in greater detail, but they also had the ceremonial law, which has been done away because it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and they had civic laws, detailed instruction as to how they were to live as a society. Now, those detailed instructions are no longer applicable. They are just there as object lessons to us. So one of my favourites was you could not wear uh, fabric that was mixed. So I would have been in trouble because this shirt has some polyester in it as well as cotton. So I would have been breaking the Old Testament civic law. But that no longer holds. God was teaching his people that you can't mix things. So what you've got now in the New Testament, if I'm to walk through this confusing minefield of a world, and if I've got the light of God's word, what I have in this word is not detailed instruction of what I have to wear, of where I'm to go, of this and of that. What we have are unchanging principles. That's why I read from Ephesians chapter 4. And if we would have gone further into chapter 5, you would have had more principles. And these never change because they are the will of God. And you apply them to your particular situation. So can I give you an example? In Ephesians 5 verse 11, there's the principle, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. How can I walk... In the lights, as a believer, in this dark world. Well, God says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In Spurgeon's day, they applied that in this way. If you were a Christian, you should never go to the theatre. Because theatres in the 19th century were dens of iniquities. So a Christian couldn't be involved in that. Otherwise, he'd be in fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, I'm not a theatre-goer. It's just not my cup of tea. But I don't think that applies in the same way today. But we could apply it to other situations today where we could get into the unfruitful works of darkness. So what God does in his word is not give us a list of do's and don'ts. He doesn't say... Don't go to the theatre. He says much more broadly, don't have anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. And that will change according to the situation you're in. That's just one example. But there's something else here, isn't there? There's something else. This word is our guide. The written word is our guide. But the written word leads to the living word. I know I'm getting old because I'm becoming a tourist now. And part of being a tourist is to go on guided tours. I never used to do guided tours. Have you, have you ever been on a guided tour? You've got an actual guide, a person. And what they do today, it's very clever, they give you these earphones. So you can be in the midst of a crowd. When we were in the Vatican, we were in a huge crowd. But I could hear our particular guide speak. And it's a bit like that with the word of God. 
He's given us this guidebook. It's a wonderful guidebook. Whatever situation I find myself in, this book will give me light. Yes, we've got to apply the principles to our situations, and you may need the help of other believers. I think the men's breakfast is excellent in going through some of those applications. But in the end, we've got a guide who speaks, not in our ear, but in our hearts. Have you ever had Jesus Christ speak to you by his Spirit in the Word? It's much better than a guide speaking through the headphones. Have you ever had him say to you, maybe when you've come to a dead end, maybe when you are completely confused as to what you might do, he says, this is the way you are to go. Walk in it. As we sang, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. So it's not do's and don'ts. It's something much higher than that. This is the will of God. And what does Paul say? How you ought to walk and please God. It's not a matter of keeping his word for the sake of it. It's not a matter of ticking the boxes. In a sense, you can give people a list of do's and don'ts and they can keep it outwardly, but their hearts can be as cold as anything. This is nothing to do with that. This is a matter of pleasing the Saviour. We love him because he first loved us. And this isn't just a guidebook, it's a love letter. And this corresponds to something in our hearts, the new creature in us, leaps, as it were, within us as we read this word. John Snyder, he uh, saw a blessing in his church a number of years ago, and somebody was converted from a similar background to these Thessalonians. He had no Christian background, and he went to see John Snyder as his pastor to ask, should he continue to do something? I don't know what it was, but it wasn't the kind of thing that evangelical Christians do. And what John Snyder said to him was not yes or no. He simply asked him, if I can remember, can you still please the Lord by doing this? Isn't that good? Can you still please the Lord? I wouldn't want to be a young Christian today. It's so confusing. But can I put that question to you? Whatever situation you face, can you please the Lord in that situation? I think that's a very helpful uh, way to think of it. We're walking. It's a marked walk. We're walking the King's Highway. It's a guided walk. And it's not just the book. It's not just God speaking through the book. But he is with us. He is talking to me. I serve a risen saviour. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy in those difficult situations. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. It doesn't matter how rough the road gets. It doesn't matter whether there are seeming dead ends. It doesn't matter if we are in the minority. It's who we're walking with that makes it worth 
with it. It's the fact that we've got Jesus with us. I'd rather have my Savior with me and go through a desert than have nothing and go through green pastures. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, he had a lovely illustration. He imagined the Christian's walk to a father and a son. Have you heard this? Walking together, the father holding his son's hands. They love one another. The father doesn't have to say that to the son, but they keep on walking. And then one moment, the father takes up his son in his arms and he gives him a hug. What do we say in Welsh? Kutch. Kutch. Have you ever had Jesus Christ give you a coach? The Song of Songs talks about the kisses of the Savior. I believe Jesus Christ can so pour his love into our hearts that it's like having a spiritual coach. Uh, very quickly. Last point, it's a big walk. I've got a book at home called Big Walks, and they are big. We're not talking about six or ten miles. We're talking about 30, 40 miles. That's a big walk. Nothing compared to this walk. This is the biggest walk of all. This is long distance, isn't it? Did you notice in all the hymns, I think most of the hymns we've been singing tonight, they've been going somewhere, haven't they? <laughs> I like hymns that go somewhere. They've all ended in glory. This is a walk. You know, if you're walking, you've got to be active. You... I've never seen anybody walk and not move. <laughs> you've got to be active. Now, some people may be slow, others may be fast, but that doesn't matter. Every person walking is active. So Paul says in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God that works in you both to will and to do. So if I'm to walk as a Christian in this world, my lifestyle is to be different. I'm supposed to be doing things. Walking implies movement. You can't sit and walk. It's progress God wants of us. Paul talks about abounding, abounding. Isn't it lovely? John says his commandments are not heavy. They're not, are they? It's religion that's grievous. God's will is light. Don't, don't you find that there is liberty in serving God when you obey his word. It's when we try to do our own thing and when we are in bondage to the devil that we are really miserable. When we are saved and when we bow the knee to Jesus Christ, we're free. Don't listen to the world which says, ah, if you become a Christian, you will be inhibited. Oh, no, you won't. It's those who are... an unbelievers and those who say they're believers and still try to hold on to the world who are miserable and who are bound there is freedom in serving Christ this is a walk that gives you liberty do you know what else I've noticed about walking are you the kind of person who goes out for a walk every day doesn't matter how long it is doesn't matter how fast you go. The important thing, it's a habit to go 
for a, wor- a walk. John Murray, uh, the great theologian, when he lectured in Westminster Seminary, every afternoon he went for his Murray Mile. Can you see what I'm saying? You may think, Pastor, you're describing the Christian life to me in such a way that I feel that I haven't started. Yes, you have. If you're walking, baby steps. If you're walking with the Lord, you are. You are different. But what we do is we just develop habits, just like a person going for a little walk every day. And what you do, as you do little by little for a long time, you develop then. You really do. That, that's the brilliant thing about going through disciplines of the godly man. Discipline, there's a book, another book, Disciplines of the Godly Woman. Uh, what's the phrase um, I'm quoting here from memory? Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Finally then, brethren, and it has to be finally, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Isn't that the direction of the Christian? We are walking towards the lights. We are going from death unto life. The unbeliever is going towards the dark. The unbeliever has started life, but he's dying little by little, piece by piece. But we are going on to greater life. Jesus Christ said, this is life, the life that I give. It's life more abundant. And I find that as my body is getting older, the inner man is still being renewed day by day. We may not be as fit physically as we were, but there is a spiritual stamina. And we bring little by little into our lives. Have you got habits of grace? I don't want to tell you how long you should read your Bible for every day. I don't want to tell you how long you should pray for. But do you talk to your Savior every day? You can't walk with somebody unless you talk with them. Do you feed spiritually in his word every day and have him talk back to you? Well, time is going. Praise in the common things of life. We just don't walk on a Sunday, do we, with the Lord? Every part, every thing I do, every day, be fellowship with thee. Uh, There was a song when I was a boy by the Bangles called Walk Like an Egyptian. (laughs) And there was an action to it, which I'm not going to do. (laughs) But what Paul is saying to these Thessalonians is, are you going to walk like a Christian? It doesn't necessarily mean having that list of rules. But it does mean I'm guided by this book, by my saviour. And... Whatever others may say or do, I'm going to march to a different tune, the tune of God's word. May this church be a church, whether we're young or old, that abounds in walking with the Lord. So that people say of us at the Heath, even in this dark city, spiritually and morally, what have they got there? What have they got in the heath for his namesake.